your life strategy. And I want to ask a question. Are you following a life strategy that will work? The series we're in is one that has to do with the issue of influence. It started in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 through 9, and it starts with the answer to our annual question. Every year I ask one question. And so the question this year is, what is your purpose? Why, why are you here? Why are you here? What is your purpose and why are you here? Say it with me, come on. What is my purpose? Make it personal, say. What is my purpose and why am I here? I believe you're here to do specific things. You were designed with a purpose. And this whole month, I want to show you the power of that design. What people often do sometimes is they come into your life, and it's not just people, it's causes. Sometimes a person or a cause can so dominate your thinking that it becomes the big influence in your life. It becomes the thing that you think about every day. It's the thing that you, you sit down at the table and you put your specs on and you say, now let me focus on this. And every day, this is what you do. Focus on this. The problem is, it's the wrong thing. You've allowed the wrong person to influence you. You've allowed the wrong, the wrong individual to dominate your mind. You're now so committed to the cause at your school that you're not committed to your cause at home. Your strategy of giving all your time and all of your life to work and none to your physical health is not a, not a smart approach. It's not a good strategy long term because you then lose your health and lose your job all at the same time because you can't physically go to work. So the question is, are you following a life strategy that will work? Genesis chapter 11 tells a story, in verse 1 through 9, which I told last week, which I'll just summarize today. It starts with a guy who I, I mentioned to you, and if you'll cheat with me, go to the back of your notes, would you please? Genesis chapter 10, bottom of the notes, I put what I call research notes there, research on Nimrod. There's a guy named Nimrod who you probably didn't notice because, <laughs> let me show you where it's, where it's kind of hidden. In Genesis 10 and 8 it says, Cush begot Nimrod. When you see those begots, you just leave. So-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat. Forget all the begots. It's a whole bunch of them in the Bible. But if you listen to this, it tells you a little bit about this guy, Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. This guy had great influence. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said. They used to quote him, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. People would say that. He was so famous. And the beginning of his kingdom was where? Babel. One of the places he ruled. Now, please notice as you go back to the front page here in your notes, this is the guy who leads Babel. So in Genesis chapter 11, the next chapter, you, you see this incredible focus 
of the whole, what it called the world, centered around one project that Nimrod came up with. And the project was a tower. And the tower, their design was to build this tall tower that would reach the heaven. It wasn't that it was going to reach the literal heaven, but it was going to be tall. That was the point. And this tower would make them famous. And this tower would protect them from being scattered around the world. And Nimrod made this the priority. And so the, quote, whole world was focused. So this one, one area of focus became the dominant thought in the lives of the people. And God did not want that. So in Genesis chapter 11, the Bible says around verse 5, God came down and he saw what they were doing. And he says, they're going to complete, they're going to, they will accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. Some people used to think that was God getting nervous, saying, oh boy, I better do something before they reach heaven. No, that wasn't, that wasn't the point. That was, it was about focus. It was about purpose. God's purpose for man was not that they would center their attention on building up a tower. It was not about them making a name for themselves. That was not his purpose. God, God's, God's not afraid of celebrity. I mean, he gives celebrity. He told Abraham, I'm going to make you famous. I will make your name great. But if you're not careful, you'll think your purpose in life is to be famous. You'll think your purpose in life is to build some great monument. And so that is not what God wanted. He didn't want them to live with the fear of being scattered. He wanted them to embrace challenge and change and and moving. He, wanted, he didn't want the world all gathered in one place, centered around one tower, following one man. Hear this now. Following one man with one plan for life for everybody. He didn't want everybody to wear the same uniform, have the same haircut, and do the same things. That's what Nimrod was doing. He was redefining, redesigning the purpose. And so people were losing their, their focus, and so here's what God did. He, the Bible says in Genesis 11, he changed the languages. He says, I know how to change this. Everybody will now speak different languages. And so now, language became a tool of empowerment, not a judgment. Now people that were Asian can be Asian. People that were African can be African. There was no desire to make everybody be the same. And that's an important point to get. It was a purpose. But Nimrod had, had them following the wrong strategy. They were living for the wrong purpose. So the question is, are you? What has become your Tower of Babel? What has become your single focus? What person, what cause has so dominated your life that you don't have time to think about anything else? You are no longer the priority. It is the son. It is the child. It is the daughter. It is the job. You, you are really living for, big word now, the wrong purpose. The Bible says something that we'll study in a moment in Luke 14 that kind of brings us to a place where we, we, we will highlight that we all face the same choices that they faced. But before I do that, let me show you four things that were wrong with Nimrod's strategy. Four things, and these are so important. Number one, he became the main influence in the lives of the people of Babel above God. And I talked about that last week. And I talked about the danger of allowing a person or a cause to become your main influence. You should not be all about one group. I don't care what group it is. Nothing should ever take the place of God. When Jesus was asked a question about what was important in the law, he says, loving God and then loving your neighbor. 
the same way you love yourself. So he threw you in there. He wanted you to understand these are the priorities. Your purpose in life is not to just love your job and love where you work. Loving God and making sure you don't allow some tower to become your focus. And so basically, first thing he did wrong was he made, he made himself the main influence in the lives of those that he served. Number two, he became the main strategist in their lives. Above God, God was no longer allowed to be the main strategist. He was the one who pulled all the punches. And, and the strategy he gave them was wrong. There's a study that is, has just been amazing to me. I, I, was, I was really shocked by it. I, I didn't know that this existed. I don't know if you ever, ever studied China, but there's something called the Great Leap Forward. Anybody heard of that before? The Great Leap Forward. Yeah. The Great Leap Forward was something that a guy named Mao, who was the leader in China for uh, eight years, for, I'm sorry, not for eight years, for many years, but he became this incredibly influential guy who, nine years after he was in charge of China, decided that he wanted to do something, especially after he had this great harvest. They had this great harvest. And so around 1958, he decided to improve China's uh, ability to grow food. And so he decided that the best way to do that was to have them first of all, create their own tools. And so he told all of the farmers that they had a responsibility and he told them how to melt down uh, the metals they had around their farms and to make them into tools. Well, first of all, they're not all tool makers. So he's taking them out of their skill set. And then he comes up with a plan that he finds um, in, with this guy who really was um, just not good at what he practiced. He was supposed to be an expert in agriculture. And he told them to start not only making tools, but they were to make the plants closer. So because they had such a great crop, 57, 56, 1957, 56, he said, well, bring the, instead of planting so far apart, bring, the, bring all of the plants closer. Well, what that did was eventually it would damage the crop because you need space for the soil to nurture and so on. Well, within three years, 40 million people died of starvation. Amazing. It was called the Great Leap Forward, but within three years, 40 million people, some estimate, died in China. This wasn't known later until China became more of an open nation and people started understanding that Mao's leadership was tragic. More than the Holocaust, more than any modern day tragedy, and it was in the year I was born that it started, 1958. It took them three years. Finally, he decided and realized that what he'd done was wrong, and so they turned it over and went back to methods. But this not only affected China, it affected Russia. It was the Marxist declaration that they knew how to better grow food, and it was a tragedy. Millions of people died of starvation, and they wouldn't let them move. You couldn't, like, migrate to another place that had food. You had to stay where you were, and they just watched them die. Horrible. And it's all because they had a plan, a strategy, but it was the wrong strategy. So the question is, what about your strategy? How is it working? He was Nimrod, the main strategist. 
But God looked at his strategy and said, that plan will not work. Then thirdly, not only did he become the main influence, the main strategist, and a bad one, but he thirdly centered all the personal power of the people in a lifetime group project. And I'll talk more about this power concept next week, but whenever you center all of your personal power in one project, building a tower, it's not healthy. We as a church have projects that we must, uh, we must approach. And we will invest for a season our focus in a project. But it can never be that's all we do. You need to be careful when any, any cause or person makes you invest all of your lifetime in one project. And you can't see beyond it. You can't see that it's taken over your purpose, your identity. I just don't believe that's healthy. I believe in helping, but I don't believe that I need to give away all my personal power, my personal controls of my life. And that can sound nerve, kind of un, un, uh, like I'm not willing to share, but I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying I don't know that it's healthy to put the oxygen on you first and then me second like they say on the plane. If you fly a lot, they tell you in the little demonstration before you take off, put the oxygen on yourself first and then on someone you're with. Because if you put it on the child first and then you pass out and the child says, mama, then now everybody dies. <laughs> Would you say this with me, please? And it's not wrong. Say, it's okay, it's okay. if I take care of myself. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay if you take care of yourself. There's some things I just don't say. I don't say things like I live for my children. I never say that. Never have, never will. Because I don't. I love my children. But no. <laughs> they grow up, move away, do stuff. Hey, don't call. <laughs> I'm not saying that my kids are calling and they're nice people but I'm just saying I just I've, I've been a parent long enough if, if you ever had this experience you, you you raise them up and especially they do this a lot in high school when they, they go out and you say this just call me when you get there what did I just say to when you get there because you're driving my car okay I'm, 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 I'm letting you go I gave you money I did all I could do right now all I ask you to do is do what now, how many of you had them get there and not call you? Raise your hand. Mm -hmm. Put your hands up high so we can see. We can see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all of you. Mm -hmm. and, and the rest of you just don't want to bust out your child, right? <laughs> and then they have this amazing answer. I forgot. <laughs> don't know what happened. Or here's the deal. Here's the curfew. I want you to end by this time. And then when you call and say, hey, hey, what, what's up? It's past the time. Really? Man, time flies. <laughs> really? Well, you need to fly home. Like now. College is a whole nother experience. I'm grown. Let's all say that together. Come on. I'm grown. No, you got to say it with attitude. Come on. I'm grown. And you're trying to make me a baby. That's what we say today. A few more days. Hey, uh, I need some money. 
What you ought to say is what? I'm grown. <laughs> I understand the process. I embrace it. I do. I get it. I, and I'm not saying that because I don't support it. I just think the danger is when I put all my life strategy, all of my life energy in you, and then you don't respond the way I think you should, which, which nobody does all the time. And that's fair to say to your kids. You're not going to always, you didn't respond perfectly to your parents. But here's what I think is important. You get angry because you think they owe you something. You get angry because, and you carry this grudge, and you, you brand them as being disrespectful. A lot of times they're just trying to find themselves. And I believe that you have to grow with your children. You have to guide them through the seasons of their lives. Love them. Embrace them. Because a lot of things you know, if you live long enough, is just a season. It's a fad. It's a moment. Do you remember your bell-bottom jeans? Do you remember your tight, 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 short, short, you can't bend down, picky, picky, shorts? You remember those, right? Now you know, and you used to wear them out in the cold, ladies. Oh, come on, you know what I'm talking about. You wear, wore them in the cold. There were things you guys would do that you would not do now. There are things that, I, you know, I just, I, I think so differently, and I realize that that's how it is. So when I give myself and I center all of my personal power in one project, raising my children, I have no other project, no other goal. I realized that that's not good, and that's what Nimrod wanted them to do. Take all of who you are, all of what you think, and invest it in this one direction. And then determine whether you're happy by the results of that investment. And lastly, he taught them that an unhealthy, he taught them what I call an unhealthy view of independence. It excluded God. They were working on their own. They would not consider another way. That, my friend, is what Nimrod brought to the table. And so the next two weeks, we'll talk about the last two things. We'll talk about the issue of power next week, and we'll talk about, lastly, the, the issue of independence and how he wanted to distort those things in your lives. And I'll show you the balance between those two later. But let me conclude with four things that we all strategize and plan for in our lives. All of us have to come up with strategies. All of us have to come up with a plan. And there are four things that I want to describe in our plans. First of all, we all have a cross, a responsibility we're required to carry that we must plan for. All of us have a responsibility that we must plan for. All of us do. And it's a cross. It's what Jesus described as a cross. Whoever does not bear, Luke 14, 27, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my what? Disciple. That's Luke chapter 14, verse 27. I want you to know that that is something that we all can relate to. Secondly, we all can relate to a building project that we don't want to fail. All of us can relate to that. That's why Nimrod's whole story and Babel's story we get. We understand, thirdly, that we all have a big dream. This story is not God saying, hey, it's wrong to have a dream to build something big. This is not, there's no wrong in having a big dream. And fourthly, I believe that we all have something we must forsake. In this story, you realize that they've gotten so far off that they had to be adjusted. And all of us, no matter how hard we try, we will go too far to the right or left. And we need to regain our balance. And I think in life, you spend a lot of time regaining your life, rebalancing your life. You try to go in the right direction, but you get off spiritually and you get off naturally. You lose your way. 
and that's part of the process. But the question is, how do you, how do you respond, how do you manage the strategies and the plans for your life? Here's the first thing you don't do. You don't ignore your responsibilities. You don't ignore the fact that you have a burden and a cross and a responsibility. All of us have something we have to carry, and I can't ignore it. I can't ignore it. I have to plan for it. I have to strategize for it. The key thing is to do it the right way. Jesus managed his cross properly, and the same thing I have to do is learn how to manage mine, and here's how you do it. First of all, if you intend to build something, you sit down first, and you count. That's what he says. Look at verse 28 of Luke 14. For which of you intending to build a tower does not do what? Sit down first. Now, this is important. Before I go too far down the road, before I go too far down the road of planning and strategizing, I want to make sure that I'm not going in the wrong direction. So I sit down first, and I do something important. I count. Now, the question is, can you count? Have you ever thought you were counting well and looked back and found out you were not counting well? You thought you had it all figured out. You thought you had it all computed, but you were wrong. There are moments in life when you learn that your counting philosophy was wrong. Your strategy that you were following was wrong. For me, an example. I don't believe you can win the credit card game. I just don't think you can win it. It's designed to beat you. They have studied you, and they know you. Here's what they know. You don't have any cash. They know that you like charging things and you don't like paying for them. So they gamble and say, we're going to give you 90 days, 6 months, 18 months, it doesn't matter. Same as cash, no interest. They know 80% of you will not pay it off on that 90th day. Therefore, they give you 90 days, same as cash, simply to get you to buy it. And once you buy it because you don't have any cash, let's say that word, please. So you can't even get it out. You can't get it out. Let's say it again. Come on. Cash. See, even in churches, like, oh, don't say that. But then they're the ones who want you to give cash. It's hilarious. A whole church full of broke people can't do anything. All we can do is just complain about the world. If you have cash and power and time and control of your life and independence, you have the power to do a lot of things. You can go to Africa and help somebody. You can do this. You can do that. You can't help anybody if you're stuck. So please understand, I've learned that I cannot win the fight with credit cards. So you just, you just, need, you just need to deal with that. You need to decide. Once I pay this off, I'm done. Once I, I, I can't win this. If I, can't, if I don't have the money in the bank today, not, not, not even 30 days. Many of you, oh, I'll pay it off in 30 days. If you do that, you're one of a few people. You have to understand, they're in business to make money. They created a system that will not fail. They created a system that they know you will not obey. They know that. So that's why they can, pay, they can charge you 24% interest, 28% interest, and you, you're living with this because you have bought into a count, a system, a strategy that doesn't work. You have to sit down and, and say, let me count up the facts. Let me add up the facts. I've been in this mess. How many times I've been in this problem? How many times? It's just amazing. Churches get in all the time. So easy around here. Things cost a lot of money. And if we are not careful every week and we work hard to be careful, 
you'd be surprised how much Sam's bill can be. You'd be surprised, thousands of dollars. You think all this food comes in here for free? All this stuff costs money. You have to pay people to organize. You can't make it happen because you have to go to your job, so I have to hire staff to make sure when you get here, something's here when you get here. And so it's not, it's not inexpensive. And if I don't count properly and if I don't have the right strategy, I will end up in the wrong place. So if your life is not where you thought it should be, go back and analyze your approach. Your strategic plan could be wrong. You could be following and living for the wrong purpose. And if you're not careful, you're off doing what Nimrod wanted you to do. You're off building some tower. You're off following some cause. You're going to help everybody, and your house is a wreck. I don't want to go and help people all around the country, and my church is a mess. I don't want to go and advise people, and I'm a physical mess. I don't want that. And to me, that's what this is about. If I really want to build a project, and I, want it to, I, I don't want it to fail, I have to sit down, count the cost first, and see whether I have enough to finish it. At least after I've laid the foundation, and I'm not able to finish, all who see it will mock me. Something in me will feel mocked because I couldn't finish. And it's probably because of my strategy. You start these great projects, you have a lot on your plate. There's too many things on your plate. You're too proud to do one thing at a time. You, you have to impress people with how many places you go and how much you're doing. Maybe you should just say, let me do two things well. Let me just stop right now. I love when I took my master's program. I took one class at a time. It was the, I, I tell you, for me, it was, I love it. For me, I'm not saying two or three classes is bad, but for me, I was really focused. Made the best grades in my life, and I think it's because I was focused. It was a fast program. You know, I mean, I was, it was a lot of work, but it was easier for me to stay focused on one thing. And I've discovered in my life that's my problem. I, my strategic plan was not the right plan. And I, was in, I ended up distracted, focusing on too many things. So we all have responsibilities. We all have building projects, and we all have big dreams. I love this because when he gets to the big dream part in verse 31, here's what he says. What king going to battle uh, to make war against another king does not sit down again first and do what? Consider whether he is able, big word, with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Do I have the resources and the strength? Here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to ignore your responsibilities. You don't want to move before you sit down, and you don't want to ignore the limits of your resources and your strength. There are just some things you, based upon your history, will not do. There, based upon your history, there are some things that are just true. You don't have but this many soldiers. I don't have but this much money. Most of the businesses that get in trouble, they get in trouble because they start them with no capital. They, they can't say to themselves, I'm too broke to do that. I cannot open a Burger King with this kind of money. I can't, I can't, I cannot make this work. But what can I make work? You know, if you, if you keep having big dreams, but you're not willing to face your limits, whether it be academic limits, if you can't face, you don't have that kind of experience, then you will never see your big dreams happen. And you will not see yourself arrive at the goals you want. Your strategies and plans for your life can never reach the goal, reach the place you want, until you're willing to make some sacrifices. Verse 33 talks about 
the importance of forsaking things. Listen to what it says. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all this, he cannot be my disciple. Notice Jesus says, guys, there's got to come a moment when you let some things go. If you really, really want the right strategy, you have to be willing to release things. You can't hold on to everything. And sometimes that's the approach we take. We want something, but we want to give up nothing. In my personal life, I've come to some conclusions. There are some give-ups in my schedule. There are some things I have to forsake. Jesus says, if you guys want to follow me, here's what you've got to do. You've got to give up, forsake. You've got to walk away. What are you willing to walk away from? If your strategy in life is you can have it all, and that's what Nimrod was selling. We're going to get to do everything we want. We can exclude God, and it's okay. And God's going to bless us, and we're going to prosper, and, and we're going to, and it, no, no, no. Here's what, here's, what, here's what had to happen. We've got to give up Nimrod. The first, and then we've got to give up a whole, God separated the languages and says, no, you can't, you, you can't be an Asian guy hanging out with the Russian guys. You've got to go over here and develop your own culture and your own life. There comes a moment in your life when the only strategy is to move to another job, another neighborhood, another group of friends, another place, and you're not willing to follow that strategy. That's a strategic plan for you that's beyond your emotional ability. I really believe, you, you, I mean this with all grace. Boy, say this right, Temple. Some churches aren't healthy for you. I'm trying my best to make this as healthy a place as I can. I'm not saying we're perfect, but I'm telling you, man, it's for me, for what I see, sometimes I'm thinking, what kind of plan is that? You tie me up every Wednesday. You tie me up every Thursday. You tie me up every Sunday. You tie me up for hours. You want all of my money. And I, I mean, it, it, and I'm, I'm supposed to stay here until I die. I joined the choir. I have to lie to get out of it. I can't just say I don't want to sing anymore. You know what I mean? If I, play, if I play the piano, I can't do anything else. My son is incredibly gifted at music. Incredibly gifted. He's, he's very talented. And what I've worked hard as a dad to do is not time to the piano. Even though I believe this is greatest gift. To write music, he's a great guy, he's very gifted. But, but there's a danger in, in making all of his life about the talent. And not allowing there to be that moment of reaching beyond. I have to, on my side of the river, I have to forsake that approach. I can't, see Nimrod couldn't get, he couldn't, he couldn't change anything. His way of thinking was all. Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me, you're going to change some stuff. You have to change some things. And that's what I, I don't believe some of us are serious about. You're not really that serious about following Jesus. You're not willing to really give up anything. This guy, he said, once you love him, it's over. It's over. Your approach to whatever you think is the way it is. How far will you go? Will you surrender habits, behaviors, choices? As a pastor, I can spend my whole life chasing after people, which is just horrible, trying to make you do right, get up here and hammer you over the head. I was, I was, I was watching... Um, People jump on Joel Osteen. I'll just, they don't have to defend him. I'm just going to say this. I think it's amazing. Christians jump on him and secular people. Everybody does. And part of the criticism is 
You just don't hammer people over the head enough, dude. You need to tell them that they're sinful. You need to just lay all the sins out and just tell everybody everything. Can I just tell you something? Do you think you know more about what's wrong with you than I know? Do you think you know more about your sins than I know about your sins? No, come on to me and say amen. I don't know that my job is to, to somehow, I think I'm supposed to teach you. I think I'm supposed to expose you to things. I think the Bible's full of those things. But here's what I believe is so true, John 16. When I'm finished telling you, and you, you see this with kids, when I finish saying, clean up your room, and I finish saying all these things, you have to get it. There comes a moment in your life when you have to decide, I want to obey God. And here's what I need to do. Get you around Jesus. Get you in the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. Get you where I was last night when nobody is around. Get you in a place where you worship God. Get you on a place where you start to hear God. Come on, church, you hear what I'm saying to you? When you, when you hear God, and, and, and this is, I see it, I see it, I see it so clearly over the years of pastoring. This is my 35th year pastoring. And in 35 years, this is what I've learned. People change when God touches them. People change. They, they come to a place where they realize this strategy is not working. This plan is not working. This way of life is not working. These things don't come together the way I wanted them to. This kind of guy is not the kind of guy I need. Now, sad to say, they have to go through hell sometimes. They have to go through divorces, separations, fire, brimstone, and they drag themselves. Some of you dragged yourself in here today. You dragged yourself in here because you didn't listen for years. But now you know God is right. Now you come with your hands lifted, and I, I see God ready to touch your life. And I think that's what hinders a lot of you parents from really relating to your kids. Your, all your conversations are about what's wrong with them. Every time you call, what are you doing? Did you eat today? So did you go to work? Did you save your money? Are your bills paid? Every conversation is a correction. Every conversation. That's why they don't want to talk to you. It's not fun. There's nothing. They'd rather go hang out with Bubba Louie and them. Because Bubba Louie and them, who's Bubba Louie? You know, you know who Bubba Louie. Bubba, Bubba Louie and Bubba Louie Ann, you know those people, right? They're the people you laugh with. They're the people that make you feel good. They're the people who make you feel like life is good. And, 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 they, and God, God, has, let me think, God is a big God. God, God. I don't believe it's my responsibility to change you. And if that's my strategy, if I'm living, and I'm, my goal is every time you come in here, I'm going to change you with my sermon and my words and my notes. No, here's what's going to change you, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to change your life. If you come and hang around long enough, if you come around. Now, my job is to, to put it out there. But I, I really think sometimes we don't understand the power that God has to change lives. And I, I believe he can. So next week, we're going to talk about this. Turn, turn to Acts chapter 1. Flip your notes over. Let me give you, now this, this is a look ahead to next week's sermon. And I call it purposefully powerful. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Purposefully powerful. 
God's not trying to do what Nimrod did. Nimrod had all the power, all the influence. He had all the strategy. He wanted them to build the tower. It was one priority, one place, one assignment, and he was hurting everybody in that direction. God said, that's not what I want. I purposefully, I, I on purpose, decided to put the power in individuals. I wanted the individuals to have power. Never, listen to this carefully, never, ever, ever allow yourself to be in relationships, friendships, or follow causes that take over your life and take away all your personal power, all of your time. If you consume all my time, if you're consuming all of my money, if you're consuming all of my mental time, then I believe you're taking me in a direction that's not designed by God. And sometimes what happens is our languages get separated. I can't understand you anymore. When you start talking to me, I just go blank. What did you say? You say, come by. I don't what, say that again. I don't understand come by in, in that language. Because when I hear come by, that means eight hours has gone by. I don't understand. And sometimes when you see relationships pull apart, you're starting to under, inside there's this feeling of when I'm around you, when I'm in this environment, I'm powerless. And parents, please hear this. That's so important that you don't create that environment in your home. God, your job, my job is to empower those I lead. My job in this church is to empower those that work for me. I need you to think. I need you to give me plans. I need you to help me be successful. I don't need to control everything. I do need to lead. There's a difference. And I understand the difference. But I, if I don't succeed at giving you power, which is what Acts chapter 1 is about, in verse 8, I'm going to give you power, the power of the Holy Spirit. And my goal is to help you become a powerful person. And so in Acts chapter 1, there are five, four things I'm kind of giving you a look ahead that we'll talk about next week. And I want you to notice in chapter 1, they were promised that they would be personally empowered. Now, Nimrod stole this power in our, in our example in Genesis. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. I want you to wait here because there's a, pro there's a promise that the Father gave to you. Can you say to me? It, that's what he told them. I want you to wait here. After, after he died, rose from the dead, Jesus said, I want you guys to wait here. And, and what's going to happen is I'm going to personally empower you as individuals. Then secondly, they were promised that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. For John truly baptized with water. This is all in Acts chapter 1 now, verse 4 through 8. Verse 5 is what I'm reading. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days. I want to immerse you in my presence. I want to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. And that's more than tongues, by the way. That's more than just dancing around. It's more than that. He really wanted to give them a sense of strength. That's, that's what he wanted. I don't know that sometimes, I, you know, again, we Christians, I just, it just bothers me how we, we so churchize everything and we think power is talking a certain way. Praise the Lord and God bless you and all that. No, power is being honest. Power to someone you owe money to, you pay them back. Power is if you can't pay me back, you call me and tell me you can't pay me back. That's power with God. Come on, say amen if you hear me. That's power with God is being the kind of person 
that can be corrected. When you're in the middle of a conversation, if you're wrong, you can stop and say, hey, your wife, your children will be impressed with your power because you can rein in yourself and say, you guys are right. Let me think about that again. I may not should have said that that way. That's power. Power is being able to, the Bible says, he that can control his spirit is wiser than he that can rule a city. It, it doesn't, all this power with God and dancing around in church and waving your arms around, that's no sign of power. That means you can move and dance. That's all it means. It doesn't mean you have power with God. And there's something about understanding what that means. Power with God means you're nice. You speak kindly. You don't cuss out people when you're hurt. You don't get up fr so frustrated. You don't beat up on people and say, I, I love you in Jesus' name. You know what I mean? There's a way you handle people, the way you handle problems, the way you respond to disappointment, the way you respond to being disrespected. It's the way you respond to those things. That's power with God. This whole idea that power is some kind of demonstration that's, you know, spiritual gifts. And I'll talk about spiritual gifts later this year because I believe that's part of God's purpose for your life, understanding your place and all that. But there's nothing, there's something very wrong when you define power in Christian terminology in such a way that people don't know what you really mean. And so here's what he wants them to understand. I wanted to empower you. God wants you to leave this church with a dream. I'm supposed to feel good about me. I'm supposed to feel God's presence in my life, not just in Pastor Rick's life. I'm not just supposed to have some guy up here, some holy guy who's dressed up in some fancy suit that's powerful. My pastor is powerful. What about you? Come on, say amen. What about you? And then he wanted them to understand a very simple principle. That they would, this would all come in time. It would come in time. They asked him, they said, when, when are you going to come back? He says, it's in times and seasons. There's a lot of things you just kind of get over time and you start understanding. So I'll talk about all that. And, and so your power is the focus next week. And I hope you come back ready to learn how to become an empowered person. And I hope you leave out of here today and say, let me go back and analyze my strategy. And let me see if the strategy that I've been living by is working. If it's not working, I want to go to God and say, Father, what I've been doing with my life, the plans that I've been following, they may have been good plans. I may have meant well. I may have had great intent, but the results have not been what I, I need them to be. I've been following a Nimrod. I've allowed somebody to make a cause or a person my whole highlight in my life. I've lived so much for my children, I forgot about myself. I've lived so much for my job that I've forgotten about me. And so now maybe it's time for me to back up for a little bit and allow the Holy Spirit to guide me. I need to sit down and recount everything. I've been counting incorrectly. And how do I know that? My results. My results say this is not the way I should think. This line of thought, this line of behavior has not worked well for me. And I think this is the year to get on the right track. Say amen if you're there. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message today. I thank you for these moments together. I pray, God, that what we've talked about has helped your people. I pray that you would lift their spirits and their mind to a new place, that they would leave out of here saying, God wants to give me power in my life. God wants to help me when I'm confused and I don't know where I'm supposed to be. The disciples were confused, and God's goal was to, no, guys, I want to give you power. I'm not going to conquer the Romans. I'm not going to take over the world. That's not the most important goal. They wanted that. They wanted Jesus to take over the Romans right then and establish his kingdom. He said, no. No, that will come later. What I want to do now is personally empower you. And so, Lord, touch the people 
who are gathered here today. And let them leave this place and let them rethink the strategies of their life. Let them rethink the path they're taking their family down. Some fathers are in here today. And Lord, I know they mean well. They work hard. They sacrifice. But it hasn't worked. The way they've managed and engaged their families have brought more strife than blessing. There are women in here who have children. They're struggling to raise. And they, the plan hasn't worked. They've not gotten the kind of relationship they wanted. Their finances are not where they wanted. The way they've been spending their lives, spending their emotions. So, Father, would you lift your hand with me, please? We lift our hearts to you today. Guide us to a new plan. Guide us to a new strategy. Guide us to something that will help us see your plan. How can we implement the right strategy? What can we do that will guarantee that we go in the right direction? Well, Lord, the answer to that question is pretty simple. Include you. Nimrod excluded you. You simply want to be engaged in our plans. We, we want right now, Father, the fact that they came to church, the fact that they're streaming in today, listening on demand, they're saying, we invite God in to our plan. We ask you, Lord, to bring wise people into our planning process. We pray, God, that you would help us to be humble enough to listen. Admit this isn't working and go in a different direction. We thank you for your love and for your forgiveness. We thank you that this is a day that will change our future forever. And now, Lord, as we leave this service, I want to also pray for those who don't know you as Savior, those who would say, I, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I, I've been a good person. I've gone to church. I've maybe not been in church, whatever. I, I just know that I need God in my life, and the strategy I've been following hasn't been a good one. So I want to today give my life to God. I want to invite God into my plans, my finances, my spiritual life, my home, my work, when, how I choose, all my choices. I want to invite you in. So, Lord, I pray for those today who would say, that's my prayer. That's my desire. Now, every hand down, every head bowed for a moment. If you're here and you say, Pastor, after hearing today's message, what you just prayed is exactly where I am. I want to give, I want to give my life to God. I want to once and for all say, okay, whatever I thought I was doing right with you, Lord, I now see I, I was not. And I want you, Lord, today to know that I'm giving my life to you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you simply to raise your hand if that's your prayer. If you're saying that is what I'm saying. I need to give God my life today. I want that to be my prayer. There's one, there's two, there's three, there's four, there's five, there's several of you that are raising your hand, eight or so plus. Father, we pray for those who are raising their hands. Many are raising their hearts. We pray for those who are home doing the same. We ask your blessing upon them. We pray that this would be a moment of change. For many are saying, I know I need to start a life with God. And so this could be that moment. I thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. When you pray that prayer, you're simply making a statement. I want